Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves personally and professionally. And to that end, on today's podcast, I had a solid conversation with Michael Sai. Now, Michael was a financial professional and is now a practice management consultant playing at a very high level, working with some of the most complex and sophisticated teams in the industry. And in this episode, we talked about the advisor of the future, how to get out in front of the evolving needs of your team, your clients, and your own business, especially when it comes to shifting from organic to scalable growth. So if you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or themes that you'd like to hear on this podcast going forward, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Well, very excited to have this conversation with Michael Sai. This is a uh, peek behind the scenes around what separates the best from the rest. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation because this is where we're going to get into elements around proof that it works. And I say that because Mike was initially introduced to us by a client who became a consultant for Pareto. And now Mike himself, who was initially an advisor, is a consultant on practice management and client acquisition to very high caliber financial services teams. So Michael, just looking great uh, forward to having this conversation. Welcome to the Always On podcast. Thanks, Duncan. I appreciate you having me. And um, I'm looking forward to just having a really nice conversation with you today, especially with my experiences as being an advisor and knowing what an advisor goes through day in and day out, not just dealing with clients, but also dealing as a business owner as well and and working with staff and really what that all entails. Um, So it's nice when I'm working with high caliber advisors across the country that I can relate to a lot of things that are going on inside of their office and how they're dealing with clients. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, that's perfect. And, uh, you know, <laughs> playing off the, uh, the multi-generational aspect, it's kind of funny and you'll see where I'm going with this. But, uh, I remember having a conversation with one of my kids and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life as he was approaching, uh, university. And I said to him, I said, uh, is there any chance you'd want to consider working in my business? And he said, uh, dad, pretty much everything would have to go wrong before I would consider, you know, working for you. (laughs) Well, like, how about my plan B? And he said, no, you're pretty much my plan Q. And then he said to me, he goes, he goes, what is it you even do? And I said, well, somehow. I've managed to convince people who are much more successful than I am to pay me to tell them how to do better. And as I'm telling them how to do better, they're telling me how they became successful. And I just soak all of that in and over time have developed a philosophy and a process. 
And my, you know, I'm telling my kid this and he says, uh, sounds kind of like a scam. <laughs> and I said, well, no, it's, it's crowdsourcing. It's open source and just, you know, we just consolidate it. The reason I'm saying this, Mike, is because every time you bring me in to co-consult with you, with one of your clients and you play at a high level, like very complex, very sophisticated teams, there's nothing wrong. They're just trying to unlock that next level. As I listen to you interact with your clients, as you and I are going back and forth in those consultations, I just notice your um, bedside manner, your your respect, your patience, your poise. It's just, uh, it's very, very difficult to teach. And I know your clients really respect that. So I just want to put that on the table as as part of your X factor. And I know you have clients that come back to you and say, you know, I because you have long-term relationships now. So I'm sure that's something that served you well when you were an advisor also. Yes, absolutely. And you know what, Duncan, a lot of this in, in dealing with, with all of the Pareto clients and the advisors that, that, that we're working with, you know, I do try to take a unique perspective with each and every office that I work with because there's so much more there and it's trying to get down to the root of what they're really, you know, looking for where the opportunities exist within their practice. But again, a lot of these are our are, are teams. Um, so in dealing with that, not only are advisors trying to elevate and enhance the experiences their clients are having, I think a lot of times they come to us going, how can we do the same thing for our staff members as well? Mm-hmm. Because in many instances, it really is a team effort. And when I was an advisor, you know, we had trials and tribulations with others that were in our office. Some, some stayed long term. Some came and some, and some went. And that's something that I hear from my advisors a lot. It's you're trying to find good quality individuals to be part of your team. But at the same time, I think advisors struggle in being that business owner and sometimes being that leader for team members because they're so laser focused on working in the business, transacting as advisors, that it's very easy to sometimes forget some of the important things as a business owner and, fo- and focusing on those internal things. That, that's such a great point. And, and that's part of the transformation from book of business to actual business, where an advisor elevates from being a technically sound professional at a core competency to being a CEO and running a business like a business. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, when we typically start with a team, we're really focusing on their organic growth. And a big part of that, to your point, is not just managing client relationships, but managing staff and people that human capital, the HR, which has become more complex in the last couple of years. But where I really want to go is to talk specifically about the distinctions between a team that kind of plateaus, like, you know, we've talked before, like a team that comes to us and they're managing a little north of $400 million in AUM. And there's nothing wrong. They've just basically run out of time and bandwidth. They've kind of maxed out. And then we refine and optimize what they're doing, make these tweaks 
and adjustments. And you look at a team that goes from 400 to over a billion. And we love to point out with that team that nowhere in that elevation from 400 to the point where you could add a comma, did you all of a sudden become a better financial advisor? You were always good. What what got better? What what did they address that so many others tend to trivialize or ignore? Mm-hmm. You know that's that's you know that's a good question, Duncan. I think a lot of it it really does come down to the communication internally with the team. You know, starting with a vision, but making that vision clear. And I talk a lot about this to teams about when we're talking about being able to articulate what you do and what it means to your clients at the end of the day, it's having one singular voice, creating that consistency amongst everybody on the team. Because believe me, I've had those conversations with teams before asking them what it is that they do. When you get varying degrees of responses from advisors, from staff members, and again, it's all about bringing clarity internally to the team, more communication better communication, leading to better questions, getting staff members involved in the process and what you're trying to accomplish as a team. So again, it all goes down to how do we continually provide better experiences, not just to our clients, but also to our staff. And I truly believe that that is what is going to allow advisors to continue to scale into the future. It is about the experiences and the way you make your clients feel, even the small things being intentional with those things are so meaningful to the clients because I've heard stories from advisors that say, Mike, you know, when you, when we talk about servicing our clients, some of the things that you've suggested for us, we've never done or thought of in the past. Some of it, maybe we didn't even think was that important. Something as small as sending a nice little email with an article in relation to something that somebody really enjoys doing. And they couldn't believe the responses they were getting, return emails, return phone calls, thanking them. So it is, it's the small things over time that compound. And I think you see huge, huge changes over time by making small adjustments. Okay. So that's something I really want to drill into is the incrementalism. And I do want to come to the distinction between client service and client experience in a second. But your point about all the messengers having a consistent message on a team and being process-driven, not speaking to intentions like we help people. But no, we have a process that helps people. You reminded me, uh, this goes back a few years, but I was in New York with a team. There were seven people in the room on this team. And I I had a little faux pas because I kind of put the lead on the spot because I said, what do you do? And, uh, he, he's, you know, had this jargon filled data dump. And I said, I, I interrupted him. I said, no. And he took offense to that because he was a little bit embarrassed in front of his team. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't trying to, you know, find fault. I was, I just want to put him in a possession of something that's proprietary and distinct. Anyway, so I let him off the hook and went around the team. And I asked every single one of them, what do you do? What do you do? So at the end of the day, I got seven different answers. It was disconnected and disjointed. And and then the lead came back 
<clears throat> and was reengaged and it was it, it became pretty light and kind of funny. And then I said, hey, you really want to have fun with this. Call your wife, put her on speakerphone, tell her what's going on right now, and then ask her, what is it she thinks you do? And it was actually quite comical. <laughs> but what I noticed was the energy shifted. And I pointed out to the team is that the importance of being process driven and the importance of being consistent actually adds to culture because you're philosophically in sync. You're pulling in the same direction and there's a cumulative force multiplier in what you're building, not transacting. So I'm not sure if you've seen things like that yourself, but it's interesting how you can take a step back and then end up taking several forward. By just mm-hmm. going through a team building exercise like that, even though it's very simple. Oh yeah, I'm I, I'm huge with more consistent communication amongst teams. When when I engage with advisors early on, there, oh Mike, we do have you know weekly team meetings, or we do meet at least on a monthly basis. Well, I said, how consistent is it? I go, you know, do you have it structured to where it's on your calendar and you're staying consistent with those meetings, and are they purposeful? You know, are they agenda driven? Just like we talk about the utilization of agendas with our clients, it needs to be done internally as well. It's, it's, it's a better type of communication. It's more structured. Again, it's process driven in nature. And, you know, the, the, the word delegation comes up a lot for me when I'm working with teams where advisors are already feeling overwhelmed, but they have capable staff members. And when you get down to the root of it, it comes down to trust. Some advisors just don't trust others to to be able to do things as good as they say that they can do it. But the whole reason that they've brought them on in the first place is to allow them to focus on the things that matters most, which is being that relationship manager, which is driving revenue, you know, to the bottom line, acquiring new clients, having the ability to focus on that. And you hire people for a specific reason. And you know what a lot of it comes down to? They aren't consistent on having team meetings, better forms of communication, clear understanding of what staff are doing day in and day out behind the scenes. And human nature, if we don't understand something clearly, we are hesitant to do certain things. And I think advisors feel the same way. If they don't clearly understand how somebody is taking care of something or what their process is internally, they feel like they're better off just trying to handle things on their own. Okay, so now we're getting into some really important nuance, and this is so simple. It's easy to trivialize this one, but you talk about compounding, you think of pay yourself first instead of waiting until there's money at the end of the month, paying yourself first. It's the same with process and disciplines. If the team knows that you say, okay, we're going to have regularly scheduled meetings, every morning we're going to huddle for five minutes. And it's incumbent on everybody to bring a win, a hiccup, uh, an issue that we resolved to that five minutes. If the lead gets into a pattern of blowing those off, it's a massive disconnect. And then if you think of the progression, so five minutes a day, 30 minutes every Friday, Mm -hmm. agenda driven, and that appointment on the calendar is viewed with the same level of importance as a client meeting. And then, you know, every month, 
for two hours every quarter for half a day, once a year, full day offsite. If those are etched in stone, that's where incrementalism is activated. Now, what's interesting is I want to back up for a second and then propel us over here. It's interesting. When, when, when I work with the lead of a team, and I, I, one of my number one motivations is to figure out where they are in the spectrum between contentment and ambitious ambition. Okay, so are they content with what they've got? And is that enough? Are they just going to ride that, uh, that momentum? Or are they ambitious? And, and where is it sort of, where's the pendulum on that? My goal is to make sure there's balance. They're happy with what they have, but they still aspire to the best version of themselves. A very important component of that, right off the bat, is that dynamic around delegation. And I, I actually said to a, a lead the other day, I, cause we were talking about org charts, roles and responsibilities. And he, he mentioned delegation. I actually said it's allocation. You're allocating roles and responsibilities to specific people on your bench to liberate yourself to do what you get paid to do. So you're not majoring in minor things and you're activating a sense of professional scarcity where the world, the team, the clients, they appreciate that you stay in your lane and they appreciate your time. I think that's really, really key. And that's over easy to overlook as well. Do you mm-hmm. think? I, I completely agree. Um, in recent interactions with, with a team that I've been dealing with for some time, roles and responsibilities and dealing with the team were a big thing for them. You know, how do we get staff involved more in the day to day? How do we get them more involved in what our vision is? This is a team effort, advisors included. And, you know, as we were kind of redefining roles and responsibilities within their organization, I talked to them a lot about, you know, time tracking. Where are we spending our time? Mm -hmm. How are we spending our time? With whom are we spending our time? And this isn't an exercise to to come down on somebody saying that you're not doing your job or you're not spending your time wisely. This is just becoming more aware as a team and getting clarity around, you know, who is spending time doing this? You know, should I be spending more time doing these things? Can we help others on the team? Maybe somebody's completely overwhelmed. Maybe there's somebody that has the ability to be able to take on more tasks. And as they were doing that, they were having more meaningful conversation during their weekly team meetings. The staff was tracking time. The advisors were tracking time. They told me, Mike, this was one of probably the best exercises that we've done collectively as a team because it did make us more aware. There wasn't just a need to hire more people. It was our ability to create more efficiencies internally for everybody involved. Not always just let's hire another person to take care of this because we're feeling overwhelmed. It's let's get clarity on what we're doing now and what adjustments can we make collectively as a team to become more efficient. It's so fundamentally sound. And if you, you know, you build on that. So you think of, okay, there's a blueprint in terms of what the aspirations of the team are going to be. That's documented. Everything's documented. Then it's like, okay, where do we stand? Let's get an org chart in place. 
Then let's start thinking in terms of intellectual property. So let's start documenting our procedures and putting them into a playbook and incrementally investing those from team meetings into that playbook, all framed in the rule of three. So when culturally the entire team buys in, okay, that we're building intellectual property, we're building process. So anything we do three or more times, it is three or more steps, cannot reside in anyone's head. It's got to be documented. But then it gets to this important sort of distinction. So it's interesting. I've asked many teams over the years, what makes you different? And one of the most common responses revolves around something like, well, client service. We we have really great client service. And then they go on and I say, okay, Client service is important. It's how you react. Being a needs-based professional, you address issues reactively. You have good intentions. It says you're a good person and you care. You have a code of conduct that says we're professional. That's a minimum requirement. There was a time that was enough. Client service has to be bookended by client experience. Client experience is a fantastic driver to ensure that enlightened clients don't drift into fixating on short-term performance and investments. It's promissory on a client experience, what it means to be our client, directionally taking the long view. That's all scheduled, documented, consistently executed, and client-facing. So my question for you, Mike, is, Is that a big fuel to help somebody unlock another level of productivity is to get the client to buy into the fact that there's a well thought out and well executed client experience to supplement client service? I, I truly believe so. Yes. What, what is going to keep somebody coming back and also speaking about you to others because of the way that you made them feel and for advisors that have been with me for some time now, and they've been adopting this and they've been speaking the language and they've been putting things down, documentation, following more of a structured process. They're telling me, Mike, I feel like not only are my existing clients more engaged from the time that I'm meeting with a brand new client and taking them through my process. It's I'm not that I'm not trying to guess at about what happened this time that made this one work or what happened this time that this one didn't work? What did I do differently? It's now I'm seeing more of a path for myself. It's bringing clarity to me and helping my clients buy into something because a lot of what we provide is really intangible. How do we make something feel more tangible? Because people want to be part of something. They want to be buying into something that they have confidence in and clarity around. And I think by having more of a documented process, it allows advisors to just set expectations early and often with clients about what to expect and what's coming next. And then it is allowing them through the utilization of something like a service matrix to continually elevate above and beyond client expectation. And that's what's so important because I think the bar is low in many instances. When somebody comes and sits down with an advisor for the first time, I firmly believe that 
they believe that you're good at what you do. You're good at financial advising. You're good at building financial plans. But above and beyond that, what truly separates you from the other advisor down the road? It's not your ability to do financial planning because one person may say that they're better than the next. Okay. But it does come down to how do you make the clients feel? What is meaningful in your approach? Okay. So that is a very good point. So how do you make the client feel? It's interesting because in the spirit of beginning with the end in mind and to your point about, okay, it's abstract. It's uh, hard to conceptualize sometimes. There's delayed gratification to the value of a financial professional. There's external forces conspiring against it. Often, what I will ask an advisor to help them really come to terms with what we're trying to do is I'll say to them, I'll say, we're focusing on what you provide, but let's connect that to something very important. What is it your clients want? A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. I don't know about you, Mike, but I've had some phenomenal conversations just by asking a financial professional that question. What do your clients want? And then how do you get them there? You know, ultimately what the most enlightened client wants is liberation and order. Liberate me to go live my life because I know you've got this and provide me with order, consistency, knowing that things don't fall through the cracks. And I'm not talking about order in short-term performance. I'm talking about order in terms of how the team conducts themselves. If a financial services team can come to terms with connecting the alignment between what they do and what a client wants, and then demystify how the team gets a client there over the lifetime of the relationship and into the next generation, They put so much distance between themselves and everybody else. Now, I want to get to, because you've been working very 
um, significantly on this approach we call the advisor of the future. Where's the industry going? Where are expectations going? There's so many forces, geopolitically and otherwise, that are impacting this business. I know you're seeing many teams, where they're going is they're taking their organic business as a proof of concept, and they're shifting from not just having an organic B2C growth model, but now they have a scalable B2B growth model. They're attracting advisors. They're in a position to acquire a business and unlock a vein of gold of untapped opportunity within that. Let's talk about the, some of the fundamentals there that, that contribute to shifting from organic to scalable growth. And I'll let you kick it mm-hmm. off. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. The, the advisor of the future, um, I've, I've had a lot of conversation with advisors, those that have been in the industry for 30 plus years that are aging along with their clients and going, you know, what's next? To young advisors that are in their mid thirties to forties that are going to be around for the next 20 to 30 years. And they're looking at how do I continue to scale this business into the future? And for some of my teams, and I know others may feel this way as well. You've worked diligently in refining processes, in documenting processes, creating tangible pieces, something that's very attractive to other advisors out there that in many instances feel like they're going at it alone. How do I scale Mm -hmm. this business? Some of them even feeling tired. I would love to be able to team up with somebody that has all of these systems and processes in place. Um, and, and in many instances, Duncan, what I've been hearing from other teams is we want to continue to grow, but we want to deepen the bench. We want to strengthen the bench through bringing on more advisors, through acquiring other practices. And I truly feel like for many advisors, they are looking for that consistency themselves. They're looking for someone that's been through it and has put all their own pieces in place somewhere that they can go feel like they're part of a team and have that structure. Just like you said, people are looking for structure. They're looking for consistency. And I think there's a lot of advisors out there that would find that extremely beneficial to find a team that's already done it. They've been there. So it's interesting when the addressable audience shifts from B to C to B to B, you still have to think in terms of what that audience wants. And for a lot of those uh, lone wolf independent advisors who are wondering about their viability and concerned about friction and commoditization, it would appear what they want is to still be in business by themselves, but no, to be in business for themselves, but not by themselves. Mm -hmm. So to still be independent and to be still working with their clients but not to be on their own, to be within an environment where the client experience is elevated. Now, when you think about that, there's an add and subtract dynamic here. Both entities, in order to add, have to subtract. Like if I'm an advisor joining you, Mike, It is in my best interest to outsource the minutiae 
and all the things that are commoditized to you because you have process and scale, that's going to liberate me through subtraction to addition to go deeper into working with my clients. So are you seeing that as part of the value proposition for the, for the, for the teams that are acquiring or attracting advisors mm-hmm. to put that on the table to decommoditize and simplify their life so they can do what they enjoy doing? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a lot of advisors that are going at it alone or they may have just one assistant and, and, and staff member where they're finding it increasingly difficult to be able to do any of these things. They want to do it. They know they should be doing it, but literally there's just not enough time in the day for them to be able to do it. And I've heard those stories from other advisors. Mike, maybe it would just be more beneficial for me at this stage to find a team that has put all of this together to allow me to do what I know I do well, which is interacting with clients, elevating the experiences, but I just don't have the time and the ability to be able to do that consistently to where another team that has all of that in place becomes extremely attractive to those folks. Okay. So then you combine that with the reality that, okay, right now, anyway, there's more buyers and sellers and the cost of capital is increasing. So how does the acquirer build on that mindset you just conveyed to achieve further professional contrast? I'm going to assume, based on what we've seen, that there has to be a philosophical alignment mm-hmm. and there has to be an appreciation for the importance of process. Agreed? Totally agreed. And that's where, just like we take advisors, I should say, take their clients through a fit process. I think it's extremely important for an advisor to take another advisory firm through a fit process, not just about acquiring more business or acquiring a deeper bench through advisors. It's finding the right fit alignment, philosophically, personality wise. I want someone that's going to be able to buy into what it is we're doing uh, from a culture standpoint. So it's interesting. So if I'm the advisor and you're acquiring my business, I have to be mindful of the ultimate reality that at some point I have to go back and talk to my clients. And this cannot come off like a transaction. I've sold my business. It has to be client-centered. So in a perfect world, I need to go back to my clients and say, you know, over these last couple of years, I've had many conversations with my clients about continuity, secession, family investment legacy. I've had clients ask me about my plan for continuity and redundancy. They themselves have continuity and dynastic issues. So after significant due diligence, I have uh, selected a team to draft in behind, to collaborate with. And let me tell you how I arrived at that decision. Three specific things, philosophy, strategy, and process. So philosophically, I've selected this team because they are 100% client-centered. Strategically, there's a good fit. 
And then from a process perspective, it's just practical. They don't wing it. Every They've adopted best practices. They've engaged a consulting firm. I couldn't be happier with the choice I've made. Now, ultimately, and, and then it just becomes, okay, this is what mm-hmm. the next steps are for the yeah. client. But I think mm-hmm. when it's when it's positioned that way to a client, it doesn't feel like a transaction. And it, it reinforces the fact that I'm a lifelong planner and I'm planning for your continuity and succession plan as I plan my own in real time. Right. I think that's the way to approach it. Yeah, I was I was literally just going to say the same thing, Duncan. I think, obviously, when making a move like that, an advisor, too, may want to feel like they're part of something, just like clients most most likely want to feel like they're part of something. Having more of a small group of people that love what you do rather than a large group of people that just like what you do. Mm-hmm. And it's a direct benefit to the client. The reasons why I'm making this choice is because it's a direct benefit to you and potentially, you know, potentially to your children, the next generation as well. As I continue to age, as you continue to age, I'm doing this for the betterment too of the next generation. If something happens to me again, the continuity, the succession there, I think that brings peace of mind to individuals as well. When, when, when you have a sole advisor with maybe one staff member, that's a question in the back of some people's minds as clients. What happens if something happens to you? What comes next? Are you part of a larger team that I will be able to stay with long term if something were to happen to you or if you're looking towards retirement? So I think for teams that are looking to acquire other advisors as well, it's usually in the stage between expanding where they want to continue to grow and they want to continue to elevate and enhance the experiences their clients are having, but also with that mindset of what's the next chapter, which is succession. How do I start building that out for myself and for my clients? Yeah, and it it just being reinforced that this is well thought out. I mean, the the best outcomes start gradually and then suddenly they're executed. And uh, it reinforces clients' perception that this is a planner. And... You know, it's interesting. It's not an admission to the clients that I've been doing it wrong all these years. Like, the past has served us well. And at that time, it was the right environment, the right deliverables. But I'm trying to invest the past into the future, look down the road directionally where this is all going. I have to constantly get out in front of my clients' evolving needs. My clients' needs are becoming more complex. I need to be in an environment that has that addressed. I'm looking at the way the world is evolving. There's there's compression. There's friction. There's all kinds of distortions. So I, I need to be in an environment where we can navigate through that. Mm-hmm. When it's positioned as being well-planned, well-thought-out, and executed through process, clients want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Mike, I, I want to put you on the spot a little bit because you've seen so many before and after 
situations. And I, th- I think a lot of teams are somewhat surprised at how minor adjustments can lead to major improvements. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when somebody, you know, if you work with a team that's been doing it for 25 years and it's been this nice methodical growth track, and then they, they take that foundation and tweak it and refine it and optimize it. And it just unleashes something. Can I put you on the spot and to share a story? Sure. I mean, I've got a few stories actually, Duncan. And to be honest with you, I think it really is in many instances, it's the individuals that have been at it for a long time that have been at it for 30 plus years and they've been doing things a certain way for a long time and they've been very successful in their own right, but they've come to the realization that there's got to be a better way to approach this, not just for me and for my staff, but for my clients as well. It's almost like a light bulb kind of goes off in their head at a certain point. And in just conversations that I have with individuals, just conceptually how we're communicating to our clients, because again, is it meaningful? Everything we say, it truly matters to those folks. So just in engagement and interaction, my clients, my our advisors have told us how different the interaction with the client has been. It's been more meaningful, even as far as some of my advisors say, my clients will literally say at the end of a meeting when they've had the ability to update them on their practice and their approach and refinements that have been happening. I get it now. It's bringing clarity to these folks. You've been doing this all along, but how have we been communicating it? to our clients, to where they can truly internalize everything that you've been able to do for them, not just up until this point, but what you will continue to do for them in the future. So huge success stories from advisors that have just been able to articulate that in a more meaningful way where people understand it better. And then just small things like documenting processes, things that they have been doing, it's never been documented anywhere. It's all been in their head. Well, this is how we've done it. Well, can you explain to me step by step what that looks like? No, Mike, I can't. And by taking those things and getting it out of their head, not just the advisors, but staff members as well, what do your day-to-day processes and procedures look like? Let's just take the time to have the ability to get that down on paper. Let's bring some structure to the team as a whole as well. And by doing so, I've heard advisors say, Mike, the success here is that now I, as the lead advisor, I have more clarity around what the day-to-day looks like and what we do. And I think that that is so important at the end of the day, because I think staff find it very appreciative, too, that advisors are taking the time to work through these things, because maybe staff has wanted to, but the time has never just been structured properly to start doing these things. So more engagement, not only from clients, they're seeing more engagement from staff members as well. I've heard staff members say, Mike, I'm so happy that we're doing this now. We've needed this for a long time, but just small things. I see smiles. I feel like weight has been lifted off of some people's shoulders by just going through this thing and having somebody like ourselves to be able to discuss these things, someone to talk to about how to properly go about this. Where do we start? Well, it's interesting back to that sort of add and subtract. Like we're constantly telling teams, decommoditize, 
demystify and depersonalize. So decommoditize, that's pretty straightforward. Get your clients to focus as much on things that are proprietary, not performance-driven. Demystify, just articulate value so they understand it. But depersonalize. That That's such a huge distinction where it's not skills that reside in people's heads. If what they know about the way you conduct yourself is in their heads, it's a skill. If it's documented, it's an intellectual property. It's a process. There's so many things that benefit from that. And that does not just apply to technical ability. Uh, you know, Mike, I was in Toronto last week. I was talking to a pretty substantial team about the importance of not resting on your foundation, but building on it. And we were talking about their technical ability. And I used the CN Tower as an analogy. So the CN Tower is um, 1,815 feet high. It's part of the skyline of Toronto, right beside the Sky Dome. It's iconic. It's been around since the early 70s. Pretty sure it's still the tallest building in North America. But what's interesting is, I said to this team, I said, it's 1,800 feet high. Guess how deep its foundation is? Now, when I was originally asked this question, I thought the foundation, I, I said, well, I bet it goes half as far into the ground as it does sure. into the sky. Mm-hmm. The foundation of the CN Tower is 22 feet deep. Wow. Now, obviously, it's built on bedrock and a solid footing, but still, uh, I'll never trivialize somebody's financial ability, but that's your foundation. Build on that. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that people appreciate, the tower, all the things that people marvel at and socialize to others, it's proprietary built on that foundation of technical ability. And that's what your playbook, your procedures, your consistent client experience all is all about. Mm-hmm. And it unlocks this limitless degree of growth tied to your degree of personal ambition. Mm-hmm. Very gratifying to see that happen. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say something else, Duncan. I was talking to an advisor the other day who had lost a, a client of his, one that's been with him for 20 plus years. And and I could see how much um, mm-hmm. it, it was bothering him because he cares. And uh, he, be, he, he does right by all of his clients. But you know what I realized? As we were having more discussion, the client didn't necessarily leave because of the performance that the advisor was able to obtain for them. I think in certain instances, the reasons that most advisors will lose a client, it has to do something with communication or it had something to do with the experience that the client felt or the service that they felt that they were receiving from the advisor. I'm looking for maybe a better experience somewhere else. And that's where the importance truly lies for advisors is by documenting these things and creating structure around it. It allows you to feel confident in your abilities that all of you, staff included, are elevating those experiences on a continual basis for your clients, because quite honestly, I, I, I'm in agreement that most clients don't leave because of the performance. 
I think most of them understand that the market goes up and the market goes down. There's going to be volatility. But it's when we as advisors maybe drop the ball or we haven't been necessarily being pro have been proactive in nature, better communication with our clients, continually bringing clarity to them about all the value that we provide. And sometimes we may feel that we're reiterating that over and over again, but people quickly forget all you do for them, not just up until this point, but all that you will continually do for them. So it needs to be communicated more consistently. Well said. And I'm not sure if you um, went here, but it's interesting because whenever I hear stories like that, I say to the advisor, I say, okay, well, that's not great, but we want it to serve you, not hurt you. So then we reverse engineer and we say, okay, look at your last 12 months of communication to that client. How much of it was form-driven? Like was, was most of your correspondence tied strictly to correspondence around money or did they engage with you in conversations about their family, their occupation and their recreational aspirations? Let's take a look at that. And as an offshoot of that, a little canary in the coal mine emerges is the clients not only didn't receive or engage much in the areas of family, occupation, recreation, but also they started taking a long time responding to emails and phone calls and they started blowing off strategy and tactical review meetings. Now, part of that might've been because of the disruption of the last couple of years, but more often than not in the spirit of personal responsibility, it was engineered by the advisor and the team who, basically painted themselves into a commoditized corner because they were living and dying by the performance sword and the technical ability. They weren't rounding out the relationship and uh, the indications were there early Mm -hmm. and it could have been avoided. So it's, it's unfortunate sometimes that there's an event like that happens, but the unintended positive consequence on that is that, they can prevent it from happening and again if they go to school on what engineered it. Right, exactly. And that's where I think a, a lot of advisors, they're excited about these things because they know that it's going to allow them to cre- to have more consistency in what it is they're doing. And I think that that's something that's in the back of every advisor's mind. We get so caught up in the day-to-day responding to emails, responding to voicemails, meeting with our clients that it's very easy to put a lot of this to the wayside and allow it to just pile up and pile up and create angst and create undue stresses on ourselves because these are things that we know we should be doing and need to be doing. And there's a lack of it because we just feel too busy in the day to day. So carving the time out to focus on these things and incrementally, Little bits of time. I tell my advisors, just carve out an hour here, an hour here, but get it down. Make sure you're sticking to it because the teams of mine that have been the most successful, they've been diligent in sticking to those times where they're meeting as a team and they're working on the business. It's not going to happen overnight. For some of my teams, it's taken 18 months to 24 months to get all of this built out. 
but it's been worth it. Every single one of them has said it has been worth it. And I still get emails from some of my teams that I've worked with that said, hey, Mike, we're following the process and it works. And that's gratifying for us because they're seeing the differences that it's making in their practice, not just for them, but for their clients as well. Well, and there's an appreciation for them that it's not this this random sequence of pep talks where you get on the phone with them and have a fireside chat and, you know, just try to pump them up with some ideas. Mm-hmm. There's a process that you are incrementally deploying, they're adopting, and they're seeing it compound and strengthen and, and get, be on a solid footing, which is so sustainable. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Well, Mike, this is, uh, this is terrific. Uh, I love having conversations of behind the scenes, uh, discussing proof that it works. Uh, I'll let you have the last word. Any calls to action? I'm going to, I'm going to say one, one thing back to your point about the client, the advisor who lost a client. Keep your finger on the pulse and always make them the voice and make sure you don't get faked out by the squeaky wheel because, and I'm sure you've seen it too, Mike, is teams that subconsciously start reacting to the 80% who generate 20% of the business and leave the 20% who generate 80% of the business kind of twist in the wind because they're not as demanding because they're so respectful and so busy. We have to be mindful about how we allocate time, but I'll let you uh, close it out with any uh, last minute feedback here. Agreed. And you know, there's probably a lot of advisors out there that feel the same way that the majority of my advisors do. And all of you are successful in your own right. But when teams come to me for the first time, there there is just that, you know what, Mike, I, I maybe I'm feeling the stress is a little too much, or I'm feeling more anxious than I should be. And I've realized that there's a lack of process here. It's things that I know we are doing to an extent, but they're looking for me to help provide that clarity there, becoming more aware of just what's going on around them with the mindset of truly being that CEO. You have to wear two hats in many instances, one being the advisor and the other being a business owner. And that can be difficult to try to separate that day in and day out. And that's where by going through a process like this and having the structure in place, it's much easy for, easier for you to be able to step into one or the other. I'm advising, I'm working in the business, but I now have the ability to look at it through the lens of being a CEO as well. Yeah, that's, that's profound and very, very timely based on, on the era that we're in. But I also want to, um, go to school a little bit on your, you, you kind of sound like Paul Harvey. You have this <laughs> late night FM radio DJ sort mm-hmm. of jazz, cool <laughs> voice. It's so soothing. I'm sure your clients like that as well. Well, you know, I'm, I, I'm a conversationalist. I just like to get to know what's going on and where the, the, the areas of not necessarily concern, but where are the areas that we feel like we can get better in? And, and like I said earlier on, each and every advisor situation is unique. Mm-hmm. And this, this process needs to be tailored based on the needs of that advisor's office. So again, with me being an advisor and had been an advisor in, in, in a family, 
um, office with, with my father. I had other family members there. Um, I, I understand certain dynamics that some of my advisors feel as well that, that work with a, a spouse or, 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 or their child. There's, there's a lot going on day to day. Um, and it's just getting to the root of it and how I can be of utmost assistance to that individual through this process. Might be a good idea to bring you and your dad onto a yeah. version of this to have <laughs> a neat conversation about family investment legacy, next gen, and the family tree and the correlation to how you consult with financial advisors dealing with that as well. I think you'd have a really neat perspective on that. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, beautiful. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time. How can people reach you? Thank you, Duncan. Well, people can reach me um, via email is usually the the best way to to reach out to me. Uh, my my email address is just Mike Sy, so M I K E C Y at ParetoSystems.com. So feel free to reach out to me if you ever just want to have a conversation to learn more about this process and learn what I've been able to do in interactions with other advisors. I'd be more than happy to have a conversation. Yeah, beautiful. And Mike's working on all kinds of great resources and initiatives that are very, very timely based on how things are evolving in the marketplace, but also in this industry. So look for that in the coming months. But uh, Mike, I really appreciate you carving out some time for us. Thanks very much. It was great, Duncan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more.